Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. I am glad that I have the opportunity to have Ryan Cummings with me again this week. And we are following up on the introductory discussion we had last episode in which we were talking about the challenges we face in our modern culture and how through that we ourselves need to seek God and search the scriptures, but how can we also be trying to help others to take God seriously and seek him and search his scriptures? And so, Ryan, welcome back. We're very glad to have you. Thank you again for having me back, John. Yes, and uh, Ryan is a minister here in the Louisville area, and we'll talk more about how you can reach out to him at a later point. We want to dive right back into the discussion for today. So, when we were finishing up last time, we introduced the example from Elijah in the time of Ahab in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to toss it right back to you to get going in reintroducing that thought a little bit and diving into 1 Kings chapter 18 and the details of that. So, Ryan, tell me on Elijah. Yeah, well, let's try to take a 25-minute discussion down to about 25 seconds. That's right. Um, we, we, of course, live in an age where there are many barriers to seeking God and searching his scriptures. And I think one of the greatest is postmodernism, which essentially argues that there's no truth, therefore you can create your own meaning. Right. For a long time in my own life, I saw this as a problem, especially when I was in college. I saw this as a problem. I see it especially in my generation. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> but... It's very easy to just talk about the problem. I think it's far more important to give the solution. As we look for ways to engage and overcome our postmodern culture, I think looking back to the prophet Elijah is a great place to start. To give a context of where we are in 1 Kings 18, Israel has been in a three and a half year drought. And during this drought, Ahab and Elijah have another conversation. And the prophet Elijah says, you know what, fine, Ahab, if you want to cling to your idols and you want to cling to all of your false gods, let's see who's going to win here, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh or all of your false gods. Elijah then says, let's have your gods and all of your prophets prepare and I will go against them by myself and my God by himself against all of you. So the contest they have is they have two different offerings. And all that the God has to do is send fire down from heaven. Baal was the God of thunderstorms. If there was anything that this God should have been able to do, it was send down one piece of lightning to light this thing on fire. Hours pass. Baal does nothing. I'm going to read this from the text because it's so powerful. After the the false prophets of Baal fail, (laughs) Elijah then takes the stage. 1 Kings 18.36. At that time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, 
they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them to the brook Kidshon and slaughtered them there. Well, here's, I think, the lesson that Elijah teaches us in how we engage those who are against the gospel. You show Yahweh, the Lord, the God who revealed himself in Jesus and who has given his spirit. You show the living God as powerful next to the powerless gods and the powerless idols of the age. That's the lesson that Eliza teaches us. Yes, and there is power in the gospel, in the good news. Uh, sometimes we end up feeling like, how can, we, how can we make this argument or how can we make this stick? Well, first of all, we have to own and truly appreciate the power of that good news for ourselves. Yes. Uh, not get so mixed up in the mindset of the world that we're half mindset of the world and half mindset uh, uh, directed by the scriptures, right. but truly be transformed by the renewing of our minds yes. um, away from being conformed to the world's thinking and that type of thing. So first of all, we need to work on ourselves. Absolutely and recognize what these forces are, and then we're going to be able to try to help others with that powerful message in and of itself. Absolutely. I mean, you just quoted there a couple of passages from Romans, one Romans one sixteen, the gospel is the power of God to save, and also Romans 12, 1, therefore by the renewing of your minds, be transformed. His warning in the second part of that is, no longer be conformed to the previous things of the world. Right. Here's, I think, John, what we have to do. We have to ask, what is the power that these gods are offering me today? Right. Now, we don't think of 21st century Americans as idolaters, right? Mm -hmm, right. Because, you know, very personally, I as a minister have never—well, I, I have now since I've done this sermon a few times. <laughs> but, but I have not usually had Christians come to me and say, I need to confess my sin of idolatry. Right, right. Many other things have been confessed to me. <laughs> but— I'm an idolater. Yeah. Well, l let's think back to Israel for a second. Why did Israel turn to Baal? You find Baal first pop up in the wanderings in the wilderness, mm -hmm. and he takes his nasty head all the way up to the coming days of captivity. Fortunately, you don't find him again after that. Right. But for about 1500-ish B.C. to then eventual captivity in 586, for around 1,000 years, Baal pops up on and off in the history of Israel. That was always a big temptation to go back to, right? Why Baal? I mean, if you you can Google Baal and find ancient archaeological discoveries of what Baal looked like. He was an ugly little idol. Right. Why would you turn to this ugly little statue? Well, I think Baal was offering rain and weather and thunderstorms. And especially for an agrarian society, the promise of thunderstorm, of rain, was something they clung to. Right, right. Here's, I think, what an idol is. An idol is something that gives us glory, anything other than the living God. It, an idol is something that gives us purpose, meaning, sustenance, glory, I think is the key word, anything other than the living God. If we then are honest and we then think in our culture about all the things that we are looking to, to give us glory, to give us purpose, to give us meaning, to give us sustenance, 
other than the true God, the one who made us, the God who sent his son to die on Calvary for us. Right. Idolatry then becomes a lot more real to our 21st century age. Now, I, this is going to tie in. I'm going to pull this in a little bit earlier than I originally thought. But going back to Romans 1 for a minute, just for this description of when people suppress the truth, I'm at verse 18, and they are seeking after unrighteousness, um, that's, that's the other piece of this is every time that, that Baal is reintroduced, one of the other things that is associated with Baal is not just this idea of, of the sustenance that can be provided or those kinds of promises, but along with it, sexual promiscuity ended up being part and parcel of if you're doing idol worship – then you're free to be able to express yourself sexually in all sorts of ways and all that kind of stuff. And so that, quote-unquote, freedom uh, from the exclusivity of God, the the true God, and what God had defined in those parameters, um, there were all sorts of directions that they would go uh, in 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 the reason why they would want to go after that mindset. So they end up exchanging the truth of God for a lie, and um, and they should have recognized the true God. Uh, they have no excuse, verse 20, they have no excuse for recognizing the true God. But then it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise. Lots of people claim to be wise today as well, right? They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal of, of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, that goes back to they did that. Uh, first century, they did that in previous times. There was a physical manifestation that was brought about. And what you're saying today is, okay, we don't have necessarily the physical manifestation, but we still have idols of whatever we find to be important yes. to be that um, uh, that thing that is taking us away from the glory of God yes, and distracting us from and redefining away from the glory of God. It is. And, and I think, John, quite honestly, one of the reasons that churches are so plagued with thoughts of postmodernism, and especially young people who are falling into this, is we haven't taken idolatry seriously enough. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to offer two stories here that, that really follow from what you just said. I, I did a series on postmodernism a few years ago at a congregation, and one of the women came up to me afterwards. She was probably in her 50s, and, and she was crying, and she said, Ryan, I, I had a son that fell away about 10 years ago, and he's now in the world. And I never knew why until now. Hmm. Yeah. She she had recognized all of the things that I was saying about postmodernism, the ability to create meaning, the social construction of meaning, the, the creation of reality, gender norms, etc. All of those were things that her son was asking, but she didn't know what it was. Right, right. And since I've been more vocal about this in other churches, I get the same thing to happen nearly every time I go to a church. Right. Is I had a child that fell away when they were about 20, 21 years old for these exact reasons. We need to know what the idols are that are taking us away. Right. Now, back to what you just said. 
it's not that the idols themselves in their physical form were so appealing. Right. But they offered something. Right. Now, this is where we not need to ask, what is postmodernism offering that especially Christians don't think the Lord Jehovah offers? A few years ago, I was teaching a class in public speaking, and I had a student who was an architecture major, and she contrasted in the speech modern forms of architecture to postmodern forms of architecture. Uh Fascinating speech. Uh I'm not an architect. I know very little about the topic. But it was when it was over, I just asked her informally, so which do you prefer? Which one do you want to go into, modernism or postmodernism in your profession? She said, oh, postmodern architecture. (laughs) I said, why? It lets you do whatever you want. There's no rules. No rules. Wow. And this, I think, is what (laughs) postmodernism is offering. Right. It offers each of us to be our own God. It offers each of us to create our own meaning. Right. It lets each of us create our own purpose. It lets each of us create our own morality. Right. The idols then that we serve, perhaps even are ourselves, and it's the things in the world that are letting us create meaning. So taking this full, full circle then to Elijah, what we have to do is we have to show meaning, and especially the meaningful life is not found in the world. It's not found in idols. It's not found in myself. It's found in Jesus Christ and the cross. That's right. That's what we have to demonstrate, is that the meaningful life is found in Jesus Christ. And then if you show that the meaningful life is found in Jesus Christ, what does the world have to offer me? Whenever Elijah was able to show that his God was able to send fire from heaven, the gods of Baal and all of the prophets of Baal, they fell because they had no power. When we are able to show that the meaningful life comes in Jesus, the power of the idols of the age fall because they're shown as powerless next to Jesus. That's right. So then I think this is what we have to do. We have to be able to articulate quite clearly what the meaningful life found in the gospel is. And whenever you demonstrate then what that meaningful life is, everything else of the world falls away. If I can actually take it to the prophet Isaiah, I'd like to demonstrate a few things from the prophet Isaiah. Thoughts Absolutely. as we turn there, John. Isaiah chapter... Let's, let's begin in Isaiah 44. Let's begin in Isaiah 44. Let me set the context here with Isaiah. Isaiah lived a few hundred years after Elijah, but as you work through especially this section of Isaiah, um, he's patterning what Elijah did by showing the Babylonian gods as powerless next to the Lord Jehovah. And throughout both Isaiah 40 through 55 and then Isaiah 56 through uh, 66, there are these contests between the Lord Jehovah and the Babylonian gods. Each time... Isaiah is going to demonstrate the false gods are powerless. Isaiah 44, he shows the powerless nature of these gods. Let me read just a few verses here. Isaiah 44, verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know them that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or who casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, And the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame. Skip down to verse 17. The rest of it he makes into a God. His idol and falls down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. No one considers 
nor is there knowledge or discernment to stay. Half of it is burned in the fire. I baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Isaiah, I think, perhaps learning from Elijah, does the exact same thing. Right. When he's facing idolatry, he shows these gods as powerless. I mean, think quite literally what Isaiah was going against. He was going against blocks of wood, stone, gold. And the description a little bit earlier there is they would use part of the wood, part of the tree, in order to do the, you know, have a fire, keep themselves warm, they would burn some of it and yet turn other parts of it into a god that they would uh, have as a relic and that they would bow down to, not recognizing the irony, the total irony of burning the same thing that they venerate. Absolutely. It's just, but that's the emptiness that's there. Yes. Yeah. What popped in my mind is... One of the places where we can go to try to contrast the gods of our modern age with the true value of God is the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Yes. Because that, that may be a great place to, to uh, start with a lot of folks simply because there's this attempt to find meaning and fulfillment in all different aspects of life that uh, th- that the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, I had everything available to me. Yes. I had everything available to me, and I indulged myself in all these different ways. And at the end, the conclusion was vanity of vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit when only this life is what it's about. It's empty. Yes. It's empty. And... Because of that emptiness, um, there's going to be a point at which the hole in our lives, which only God can fill, is going to be apparent in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And for us to point to things like Ecclesiastes and we think of ourselves of all these different examples, hopefully that will be able to give us... Examples that we can reach out to people and say, you're not fulfilled in this. This is not a, a fulfilling alternative. Right. And so the God of wealth or the God of sexuality or the God of anything, whatever that person finds to try to pursue to be fulfilled, that's not going to get you where you need to go. And so the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, the whole sum of the matter is uh, fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's the conclusion that you come to mm-hmm. when you actually go through this exercise. It is. And here I think, though, is the difference between Ecclesiastes and what we see today. The key word that you just said, John, multiple times was that Solomon, I think Quahela Solomon there, he was looking for meaning. He looked under this place. He looked in this place. He looked in this place. Great point. Here's what our culture says. You don't have to look. You just create. Right. And so it's not about finding myself. It's about creating myself. Right. We then take the role of God. Right. Right. Because 
in that book, it was almost as though, well, I'm going to assume for a bit that there's not a God, so I'm going to look in all these different places. Postmodernism says, be your own God, create your own meaning, create your own truth, etc. Let me, let me give a couple examples here. Back to gender, we've had a few conversations about this. How many genders are there? Two. Okay. Probably to someone your age, that's pretty acceptable. Right. In grad school, I learned in some places there are as many as 12 different genders. Wow. Now. And growing. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm creating that, right? I'm creating gender, right? So whenever I had my twin boys back in September of last year. Mm Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, they're, they're, they're boys. It was quite physiologically evident from ultrasounds that right. they're boys. Right. Yet, to our culture today, no, 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 no. Their gender will be created. Right? Right. You, you take this also whenever it comes to any form of ethics. I will create my own standard. Okay? Mm-hmm. Even whenever it comes to worship. You know, there, there's even a trend within Christians that we ourselves are going to worship God as we see fit. Okay, we create, we take the role of creator. And that's the problem with idolatry. Ancient Israel created and crafted all of these false gods that they could look to that would then give them all of this meaning. We are now creating our own gods and our own selves that are then creating our own meaning in our own life. Right. This is a part of what we have to do. We have to go back to the true creator. That's right. We have to go back to the God of heaven and earth. Yes. And we have to recognize him as Lord and that he is the only one that can give meaning. That's right. That's right. And that draws in my mind, you were talking about Isaiah and how in those later chapters of Isaiah over and over again, there are these appeals to the uh, error of the false concepts and the truth of God. Well, at one point, uh, God just appeals and says, come, let us reason yes. together. Yes. And... That's what God's appeal always is. Now, many in the culture may never heed that appeal. Yes. But nonetheless, that appeal is there for any and everyone who will reason. Yes. Uh, and your point again of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is about someone who was trying to reason and finally mm-hmm. reasoned the, their way th- A lot of people are being told, don't go through the process of reasoning, yes. just just create your own. But God's appeal is always going to be, come, let us reason together mm-hmm. and let us... And, and so... Are we going to be willing to do that? Well, that's going to be seeking God, and that's going to be ultimately searching the Scriptures to see what's there. And again, taking us full circle to where we began our conversation last time, how do you seek in a culture that tells you it's impossible to seek? <laughs> right. How, how do you search in a culture that says, don't search, create? Right. I think that we have to go back and we have to show biblically who God is and what He offers. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah comes in Isaiah chapter 33. He says in verse 5, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Right. When we make that proclamation that God is offers abundance of salvation, wisdom, knowledge. The fear of the Lord is our treasure. That's right. What does the world have to give us? I will neither start trying to find meaning in other places, 
nor will I try to create meaning in other places because I know God has already given the meaning. Right. That's what Elijah did. That's what Isaiah did. That's what Paul does in Romans 1. And that's what we as followers of the cross in 21st century America must be willing to show. Our God is powerful. Our God gives meaning. This world gives nothing at all. That's right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yes. And that's our foundation. That's That's right. That's right. Well, I tell you what, Ryan, we're having too much fun. We are because the we're down to the end of another episode. What I want to uh, do, we're going to extend this to one more episode after that. Thank you very much, Ryan. And um, what I want to do at the end of this time is wrap things up. But part of that is how can people get a hold of you, Ryan? Sure. So my church website would probably be the best way. That is manslickchurchofchrist.com. My wife and I have been blessed to work with the congregation there for about four years. And you'll be able to find my email and contact information. That's manslickchurchofchrist.com. Thank you very much. I appreciate you joining me for this, and we look forward to our next conversation. That wraps up our time for today. May we seek God and seek His things and seek His ways by searching the Scriptures. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope it was a blessing for you. You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. On Facebook, get connected by liking the Seek Search page. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon for the next edition of Seek Search.